Those of you who have children, um, and those of you who have yet to have children, uh, there's, there's something I can share with you that you will relate to and look forward to. Uh, we have four children. My eldest is 21. I have a 21-year-old daughter, 18-year-old daughter, uh, a 16-year-old son, and a 10-year-old son. And we still try and do family days. We still try and do family walks. Those of you who have little ones will understand that process of getting them out of the door to the place where you are walking is an absolute nightmare. It's like a UN peacekeeping mission to get them all into the van and in one place, and you will be happy. This is a family day out. <laughs> and then you do walking, it's chaos. How many children do we have, love? We've got four. One, two, three. Well, where's the fourth one? And then the, the little guy's back, you know, waist deep in Mission Creek or something like that, and you have to go back, and it's just chaos. But there's something we have to do in this modern day before we go home. It's, it's like this ritual that has to happen, and that is the selfie. You've got to take a family selfie to tell everybody just how happy and how much you've got it together as a family. So they will be jealous, and they will look at you with admiration and think, you're just a wonderful family. But the process of having a selfie was made much easier for me anyway in December when somebody in my church bought me a selfie stick. <laughs> now, I took a selfie of people at the south, and we all crammed in. It was fun. But you know these things? You know, you put your phone in the end there, and then you send, and you can smile. These things have actually been banned in Disney World now, in Disneyland, because people were taking them on the rides. Just think about that for a second. I think it's a brilliant idea, but obviously not the smartest idea, I'm thinking. But, and also, apparently, they were injuring some of the actors, Snow White and such like. They were injuring them as well. Uh, that would make a memorable day, the day where you swipe Snow White in the face. That makes a really good selfie. But when you take your selfie, you're trying to cram everybody together, and, and it's like, be happy, smile. No, don't lick your brother's face. Leave him alone. Let's get this. Let's smile. Just for a second, please. It's counting down. Three, two, one, click. Was there... No, no. Or can we try it again? And we do it again, and it's, it's chaotic. And then eventually you get this picture. Everybody's just angelic. And we will post that one, dear. Not the one before. It's a great picture of life. It really is. We have this wonderful ability to project the perfect selfie to the world. But sometimes the shutter goes off a little bit too suddenly and unexpectedly and we actually get the real scene that's going on. There's nothing quite like life to expose what's going on behind the scenes in our hearts and in our minds. There's nothing quite like a challenge to highlight what, what we find our security in, what we find our safety in, what we find our hope in. Challenges in life, I can prophesy to you, if you are not going through a challenge right now, there will be one around the corner. And nobody gets to stone me because you all know it's true. Life brings challenges. How do we shine at those times? I watched a TV three weeks ago, and I watched a young man on national TV, CNN, I think it was, publicly forgiving the young man who had 24 hours previously murdered his mum while she was sat in a prayer meeting in church. Did you see that? See, I look at that kind of person, and I think, now the shutter of life went off pretty quick there. 
It was a surprise to him, and yet he had something in him that enabled him to shine at the most impossible moment. It takes a second for us to receive a call that will change our lives forever. It takes a couple of minutes in a doctor's office to make your future look different all of a sudden. Maybe it's a letter, maybe you catch a glimpse of somebody you thought you would never see again because you didn't want to see them again, but you catch a glimpse of them and suddenly the shutter of life goes off and the challenge hits you and the real you is exposed. Maybe there's something going on in your family, maybe, maybe there's an illness, maybe there's a child, maybe, whatever it might be, what is that challenge? You can't kind of group everything together and look good. The real you is exposed. I want to shine in the impossible. You know, some days, I just want to get through the regular. I just want to be not quite frustrated with my wife when she has the audacity not to agree with everything that I say. To not get annoyed, not get impatient, not, not, to, not to respond poorly, not to react badly. I know that there is a better way, and I wonder whether you are the same, that you know there's a better way. This book of Philemon is about the better way. Paul is writing to Philemon, and see, I've already said two different ways of saying the book. If you notice that, Philemon, Philemon, you can, or Philemon, you can choose. I'm just going to stick with whichever comes out of my mouth at that time and just look knowledgeable and confident with it, if that's okay. Um, but if you can turn to the book of Philemon right now, it's just before Hebrews. It's the smallest book in the New Testament. And it's very unusual because what Paul is doing here is writing to a personal friend of his. This is not a book to a church pastor or a group of churches. It will get passed around the churches. But this is Paul writing to his beloved uh, friend Philemon. And what he's doing in this book is he's setting Philemon up for a challenge. He's like, Philemon, there's something that's going to come into your life very soon, and, and I just want to remind you of a few things. To give you a bit of a backstory, what happened is Paul is in prison, and this fleeing slave called Onesimus finds him, connects with Paul while he's in prison, and becomes a Christian. Onesimus is fleeing from his master, Philemon. It's likely that Onesimus actually stole something from Philemon, and according to Roman law, he had every right, Philemon, to execute, to see Onesimus execute. He didn't even need to give a reason, it could just happen. It was a deeply insulting thing that Onesimus had done to Philemon. And Paul now looks at Onesimus in a different way. He says, look, Philemon, he's a beloved brother. He's going to come back to you, and I want you to receive him well. I want you to forgive him. I want you to take him back. And it's this beautiful letter where Paul is, is, is reminding his friend Philemon of the good things in Jesus Christ that will enable him to do something impossible, to shine in a challenge. Before we go on, I want to very briefly just talk about slavery in the Bible. Very often, slavery is used as a reason why uh, the Bible should be discounted. You might even hear as a Christian, or maybe you're here this morning for the first time in a long time, and you're just exploring this whole thing called Christianity. If you hear that the Bible condones slavery, let me just give you a little bit of advice. Just because the Bible mentions an issue does not mean that it condones an issue. The Bible does not condone slavery, and I'm going to show you very briefly in a second how we know that. 
A better term for Onesimus is bondservant. The reality was, in that culture, at that time, one out of every two people were actually slaves. Now get the New World 16th, 17th, 18th century picture of race-based kidnapping and murder slavery that is horrendous. Take that out of your mind because that is not what it was about. What actually happened was is if you built a debt up against somebody, you could become a bondservant, a slave to that person until you pay off your debt. Could be three, five, ten years. It was not a lifetime slavery. It was basically a very, very committed job. And in Exodus, we read what God says happens uh, when a slave does not want to leave his or her master. Have we got that scripture, Exodus? And, and so this, this scripture, describe me, read it to you just in case it doesn't appear. It says, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear. Now, before you get excited about this, means, you know, those people with the big ears, you know, the big holes. It's different. It's not quite the same. Uh, They're not not necessarily a bondservant, or you, you could stretch it and say they might be a slave to something else, but we won't go there this morning. His master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. So what happened was the slave would say, I have a good master. I have a generous master. I have a loving and kind master. I never want to leave. And so he would have a a hole put in his ear as a sign of bond service. You wouldn't at that time be able to distinguish between a slave and somebody who wasn't a slave. They didn't look any different. In fact, oftentimes the slaves are the ones making more money because their masters were the ones that paid for their education. So the doctors, the artists, the accountants, the managers, the lawyers, most often were slaves or bond servants. So Onesimus was a bond servant to Philemon. And in verses 1 to 2 in Philemon, we'll read this together. I want you just to see Paul's greeting as he writes to his friend Philemon, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. He's saying, Philemon, something is going to come, and I just want to write to you as a friend and as a brother, and I want to remind you about a few things. Before I go on, I I forgot to bring up a bottle of water. Do you think this is a... Okay. Don't tell him. I don't think he's in the room. Okay. Wonderful. It's interesting, Paul actually refers to himself as a bondservant to Jesus Christ. I have a good and generous and loving master, and his name is Jesus. So Philemon is not a book about slavery. It's a book about forgiveness. It's a book about how to shine in challenge. And for any of you who have had to forgive somebody who has hurt you in a horrendous and horrific way, you will know that forgiving somebody is, feels impossible. And we get caught up in this bitterness and often the misery that comes from not forgiving somebody is worse than the misery of the original act that was against you. 
I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know there are people in this room who are struggling every day to forgive somebody for something that happened years ago, and there is no condemnation for that, because forgiveness means you actually have to absorb the pain, which is what Jesus did on the cross for every one of us. So how will Philemon respond? What is his true character? What is it that he bases his safety and security and hope and joy in? Is he going to reveal the character of Jesus when Philemon, this challenge, uh, sorry, when Onesimus comes back to him? What is his true identity? And can I just ask you a question before we go any further? What is yours? What is your true identity? What is really going on behind the scenes? When we take away the selfie, what is actually going on? What are your reactions? What are your responses? How do you react to not just the challenges of life, but just regular little things in life? Are you showing, whether you're a Christian or not, do you show a peace, a contentment, a joy that just seems to shine out of your life? Or are you reactionary? Do you get angry? Do you get frustrated? Is there a bitterness there? The last few months for me have given me opportunity to really examine myself as I go through this this challenge and lots and lots of questions. And the biggest question really, as philosophical as it might sound, is Glenn, who are you really? What is really going on after 42 years? What is going on in your life? And does it align with what you say you are? Does it align with who you preach? Does it align with the God that you believe in? And when we ask ourselves these deep questions, God has this beautiful habit of answering you. But be warned. It can come in a way that is often challenging. Because when everything is going smoothly, we have a tendency to forget ourselves. In verse 3, Paul reminds Philemon why he thinks he's going to respond differently. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. When I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Here's what Paul is going to do. And this is what we're going to just camp in just for a little while. Paul is saying, Philemon, I am confident that you are going to respond in a good way because I know who you are. I know who it is that you believe in, and I know that you now have a new identity. He has a new identity. Look what it says. He says, for your love and faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. Your love and faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 3, he unpacks in one sentence the whole gospel. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, Philemon, you were different. At one time, there was no peace between you and God. At one time, Philemon, you were distanced from God. You were trying to live life in a way that was your own. You were chasing after those things that you believed gave you an answer, gave you a hope, gave you a joy, for only to find that every one of them fails. That you were worshipping and everybody worships something, right? Might not look like an altar in the corner of your house, but maybe it does. Maybe it's a computer or a TV. Maybe your altar is sat outside on your driveway. Maybe you live in your altar. We all worship something. 
And Paul is saying all those things that we worship actually drive a, a distance between us and God because we're worshiping the created rather than the creator. And this lack of peace ultimately will lead to death, not just physical death, but spiritual death forever. But then grace is shown. Through whom? Jesus Christ. See, grace came in the form of Jesus Christ who lived the life that not one of us are able to live and then died the death that every one of us deserves to die because of the sin that is in my life, because of who I know I am when everything goes quiet. That which I deserve is punishment. We don't like the idea of justice when it comes to ourselves. We love the idea of justice for other people. Amen? Yes, justice, but not for me. Whereas I know that I deserve punishment. And God is a perfect God. He's perfectly just. But Jesus, in his love and grace, went to the cross, took the punishment that you and I and Philemon deserve, and it died with him. That sin, that shame, that guilt, that distance died with him. And then something beautiful happens. Not only is is something coming from me onto Jesus on the cross, but then the Bible says that righteousness is imparted, imputed onto us, that we now have a new identity, that as a Christian, you get to start again. You're a new creation. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul says this. It's a beautiful verse and it's well worth memorizing. I have been crucified with Christ. The the old Glenn is now dead. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Just stop and pause and think about that. Jesus Christ lives in you. Does that make you a God? No, it doesn't say that. Jesus Christ and all that is divine and all that pertains to life and godliness, it says in 1 Peter, lives in you, Christian. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my everyday life, I can now live with his responses, his reactions, his joy. That is, I'm capable of it, not just through sheer self-will that we all know fails, like, I'm, I'm going to act different today. And then within an hour, it's like, okay, tomorrow, I've got it. We can't do it. Your identity has changed. If we can go back to verse 5, there's a little proof that I know that this is true. How do I know that Philemon's life has changed? Look at that last little sentence. You have love and faith that you have shown towards the Lord Jesus Christ... And for all the saints. How do I know that Philemon has changed? Because he's capable of loving people. Have you hung around with Christians? Sometimes they're difficult to love. I mean, I'm sure that's not been your experience. But Philemon, Paul is saying, look, you're different. I know you're different because you're going to love all the saints. Your responses, your reactions, Philemon, your life... You're different. Jesus Christ lives in you. Friends, when you walk into work tomorrow morning, Jesus Christ walks in with you. 
in you, around you, above you, below you. You have this security, this ability that is the Spirit of God, this power, this dynamis as it's described in the Bible, this ability of God to live life and shine in the impossible and to react in the regular in a way that God would react. I remember as a young boy, I was seven, eight years old, and my father was a a police commander, and uh, I was so proud of him. He had his uniform, and he was just, he was, he was, I think he was like a superintendent at the time, and it was pretty, I remember the police station where we lived was this old Victorian building, they had tiled floors, and uh, because this is maybe, I don't know, 30 some, 30 some years ago, uh, things are slightly different then, I guess, in the police force, because I remember my dad used to put steel, um, I don't know what, even know what they're called, but steel things on the back of his heels to stop the, the leather on his shoes wearing out. But the thing was, is it would clack as it went down the corridor. And I remember, I just remember the noise, and I remember the feeling of being with him in the police station. I'm like, I just thought I was it, man. Like, my dad is the boss. And I stuck my little chest out and I kind of walked behind him. And I remember when he used to go into offices, all the policemen would just stand up and say, good morning, sir. And I'm like, yes, good morning, sir. <laughs> Loved it. This was great. I was with my dad. My dad gave me the confidence to be something that I was ordinarily not. God the Father in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit that lives in you, gives you the confidence to be something that you weren't born as. His child, the child of the king. Do you think people, when the king walks in, they go, you're all right, good morning, how are you? I don't think so. It gives you a sense of his presence. That's you this morning if you believe in Jesus Christ. You can shine. In Psalm 27 and verse 1, Paul, uh, David, in the middle of a very challenging time of his life, writes this. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There's some question over what exactly was happening in David's life at this time. One of the interpretations is it's, it could be whether he was being chased and under threat of his life again, but from this time from his own son, Absalom. You see, we don't have any problem in believing that God is light, that he is holy, that he is pure. We have no problem in believing that God is salvation and in him there is a, a saving grace, that, that he can change lives. We have no problem in believing that God is a stronghold, that he is a place of refuge where we can feel safe. We have no problem with that. What we do have a problem with is that small word, my. He is my light. He is my holiness. I am now pure in the sight of God because of Jesus' righteousness in my life. That those dark things that I struggle with, I can find hope because he is my light. Amen? He is my salvation. I cannot save myself. I cannot forgive myself. I cannot do away with the shame myself. I cannot give myself hope. I cannot give myself peace. He is the one that can. He is my salvation. And friends, if you are looking to anything else this morning, for any of those things, for your security and safety and hope and joy and peace and answer, can I tell you lovingly, 
it will fail you. The car isn't going to do it. The degree isn't going to do it. The job is not going to do it. The retirement savings account is not going to do it. It will fail you. Jesus Christ will never fail you. Even in the most darkest of times, when all those other things disappear, he will be there because he is our salvation. He is our stronghold. He is our refuge. He keeps us safe. He keeps us sane. Because now we have a hope that is outside, inside of us. Not something we can find in circumstances, but something divine that lives in us. You see, the gospel has connected you and I, if you're a Christian this morning, to a new life. And like David and like Philemon, we have a new identity. Let me ask you another question. I asked you, what is your identity? Let me ask you another question for you to consider this morning, uh, this, this week. Where do you find your source of happiness? Because if it is not in Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at how you do it in just a second, where do you find your source of happiness? Is it in your relationships or in your desire for a relationship? If I could just get that guy or if I could just let that girl, then I would feel better. You know, for those of you who are not yet married and are single, I think I have said this before. I have two daughters, 21 and 18. They're beautiful and smart enough to keep me in a perpetual state of panic as a dad. But can I say romance is not some chick flick? It's not going to happen when you're going to get out, knock on the door one night and there's some manly stud of a man stood there in the pouring rain and lightning and thundering going on behind him with long hair and trickle water down his face with his rugged good looks and he's going to say, I want you, I need you, will you marry me? It doesn't work like that. Well, it didn't for my wife anyway. <laughs> Maybe it did for you. Can I... Say something. If you are married, if you want to be married, your husband and your wife are not the source of happiness and joy in your life. Because let's be honest. <laughs> Ladies, take a look. You know, sometimes we're just so messed up. Like really, you're, you're relying on this to be your source of joy and happiness and hope and security and safety? Man, I asked for a show of hands last night. I'm not going to do it this morning. <laughs> for those of you who agreed. <laughs> Lots of ladies put their hands up. Let me put them. They are not the source of your happiness and joy. They are a source of happiness and joy. Just not the source. Because they will fail you. They will let you down. They will disappoint you. There will be a fracture in the relationship. And if there is a fracture, what then? Because if you're looking at the relationship as your answer for all your hopes and dreams, and then suddenly you go through a challenging time, what then do you rely on to actually bring you through it? Is it your money, your car, your house, your kids? No. It fails. Is it your fitness and good looks and boy, Kelowna? Wow. If there was ever an idol in this city... Can I just tell you, gravity always wins. <laughs> Amen? You can clad it and you can paint it. You can lift it and you can tuck it. 
but gravity will always, always win. That's the world we live in. And if you are basing your hope and your dreams on how you look and how fit you are and how many abs you have, I had them once, long gone. If that is your hope, it will fail you. Maybe it's your job, your business, your achievement, your money. What happens when that fractures? Where is your identity then? Maybe it's the small things like you always need to be right. You always have to have something to say. You've always got a story that's better than the story you've just heard. Because somehow we're, 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 we're trying to self-glorify ourselves to make ourselves feel better and give us a place and purpose in the world. That's why social media is so important. Let's project this image. Look at how good I am. Please, let's just keep my, my deep sense of failure and insecurity. Let's bolster it up by projecting. Look at how good things are. It will fail you. So as we gaze at the gospel, and as we anchor our faith in the one called Jesus Christ, who gives us true hope, and we can look over hundreds of years of history and see that he was, uh, was the one that upheld, and he was the one who, who helped people through the most dire of situations and challenges, that they could stay strong in the midst of, of horrendous persecution. And it wasn't because of their, uh, their bank account or their looks or their achievement. It was because they had one called Jesus Christ who gave them a hope that was deeper and wider and longer and more incomprehensible than we can ever imagine and think and he lives in us that is who you are Christian you are the beloved of Jesus Christ what can you do to somebody who is anchored like that there's nothing that life can throw at you and you know what? I've had the joy as a pastor over the years to sit with people by the side of their bed sometimes, moments before they pass away. And I can see a light in them and a joy that is based on nothing else but their faith in Jesus Christ. I've met people and I've, I've experienced some of what they have felt as they've gone through it and seen them shine because they are anchored in something that is far more significant and divine than anything this world can give you. Do you have that? So how do we anchor ourselves on a daily basis? In Psalm 27 and verse 4, it says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, David didn't pray for relief from his circumstances. Paul did not pray for relief for Philemon as he was about to go through the challenge. What Paul did is he pointed Philemon's direction towards Jesus. He changed his focus. He said, Philemon, remember who you are. Remember your identity. I'm thankful for God to God for what has happened in your life. Remember this. David prays, not that all this circumstance would change. He says, I want to get to church and I want to gaze. I want to focus on God, on the beauty of God. What are you gazing at? What are you focusing on? What are you anchoring into as your hope? Will it forgive you? 
Will it bring you joy? Will it bring you that security and safety that we all long for? Because I can tell you as you position yourself before the Lord and position yourself before the cross and as you, as you read the Bible and as you pray and as you focus on the beauty and gaze upon his beauty, then all of life suddenly becomes into perspective, doesn't it? You just read Isaiah 40 or the last couple of chapters of Job and suddenly your life becomes into perspective and God says, look, this is who's living in you. Can I encourage you, Christian, this week, to put time aside, not just to plow through your Bible reading plan and, 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 the, and that list of people that you want to pray for. That's wonderful. But just take time to gaze and remind yourself that he went to the cross. He died for you so that you could live the life, his life, each day. And then in verse 7, as we finish... Paul says, look, this is what's going to happen as a result. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You see, when you live life like that, when you shine in the impossible and just get, get through the regular, that people notice and you're able to encourage and shine into other people's lives around you. There's something special going on. I want to pray for you and My prayer is that you will take the time this week to gaze, to literally focus and not to think about those things that are burdening you, but to think and focus upon Jesus Christ. Take that time each day. Isaiah 40, read it every day. Gaze, enjoy, remind yourself of who he is that lives in you, that you can have his reactions and his responses. And if you do not know Jesus, I earnestly plead with you. Do not leave this place this morning having not taken the opportunity to posture yourself before God and confess and ask for forgiveness for those things that you have worshipped instead of him. And even if you're not sure how to pray, simple prayers like, God, I need you. Forgive me. And he will flood into your life. The promise is that he is just, but he will forgive you. He is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. He wants to live in you. Do that. Come to him. Submit to him.